0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who has become a bit too obsessed with the Wiggles. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Hello, London. Good to be back. I was just up in Birmingham. It was, it was horrific. Uh, terrifying place to be. They were lovely. Thank you, for Birmingham, for having me. Uh, and uh, welcome to uh, a podcast... That everyone is calling Richard Herring's lobotomizing Shania Twain podcast. Every week we're gonna get Shania Twain on and say her name properly uh, and uh, just take a different bit of a brain out, see what function that has. I'm looking forward to sucking out her hypothalamus and see how that affects her short-term memory. Can't wait to see Nicholas Parsons do that. I was... Uh, but I was hanging out with some teenagers down at the shopping centre. They were wearing Heelys, uh, and uh, me too. We were kind of walking along where we wanted to do, but then every now and then we just kind of... It's pretty cool. Uh, they call it realist of us. I don't know if that's going to catch on. Uh, and yeah, I, because of my daughter, a five-year-old, and I've got a, a four-year-old, sorry. She's growing up so fast, but not that fast. Uh, and I've got a, a one-and-a-half-year-old Son, we watch The Wiggles an awful lot, OK? I don't know if you... you won't If you haven't got kids, you might not be aware of The Wiggles. They're an Australian group. They've kind of, like, Doctor Who uh, trans, transitioned. Is that the right word? No, that's not what Doctor Who does. Well, he sort of has. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, uh, they, they're this very jolly group of Australians who sing very infectious songs that literally all day long are in my head. I wake up and one of them's playing in my head. Uh, I go to sleep, they're playing in my head. Uh, I had a dream about the Wiggles. I was at a party with the Wiggles. Uh, Emma and Lackey used to be in a relationship. They got married and now they're getting divorced. F- and you, if you watch the Wiggles, I'm trying to work out where they are in their relationship at that point. I think the first time they have sex is just before they record uh, Emma on the swing being the moon lady. That's my... <laughs> just look at her face and his face and I think you'll see I'm right. Uh, but I've actually got, I got tweeted by Anthony Wiggle because Sanjeev Bhaskar, who knows everyone, I said, I said I was obsessed with the Wiggles and Sanjeev Bhaskar introduced me via Twitter to her. And I got tweeted by, and mean, I could say to my daughter, yeah, he, I've been chatting with Anthony Wiggle. Honestly, watch the Wiggles. My obsession with Emma Wiggle is getting in, into dangerous. <laughs> it's getting into Rebecca from CBBS. It's good job she's in Australia. That's all I can say, but anyway, look. Enough of that. We've got a fantastic guest for you this week. I'm very excited. Uh, he's just won an outstanding contribution to, uh, contribution to broadcasting at the Broadcasting Press Guild Awards. And I assume that's because of the role he's best known for, playing the mayor in Bodger and Badger. <laughs> Will you please welcome Nicholas Parsons, CBE, ladies and gentlemen. Nicholas Parsons. <laughs> Watch all these wires, Nicholas. It's a very dangerous uh, area to be... Don't <laughs> stop. Thank you very much. There's, a, there's a microphone for you. Right, there we are. Now, now it's, we have to stop Man, now. you were going
1: stop. so well. I don't know why you bothered to ask me to come yeah. on.
0: Oh, well... <laughs> I, I was running out of steam, so th- luckily you're here. Um,
1: luckily? It, it, it's been bloody bubble I designed. <laughs> I landed it all. You phoned me up and the hospital come. I didn't happen to be passing and I dropped oh. in. <laughs> <laughs> you phoned me up, we booked it, we negotiated it. We did, we negotiated <laughs> You have a lovely, lively audience, don't you? They are, they're very nice, yes. aren't they? Are they always like this?
0: Yeah, usually. I mean, you know, the, the smell is usually like this. That's the, <laughs> you're,
1: you're are you through. suggesting that this audience is unwashed. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. They're very smart and... Or oh, are they? I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah.
0: they're, they're okay. They're pretty. You know, they're all I've got, and I, I love them. <laughs> I know Emma right. Wiggle, let's face oh. it. But um, Do you remember working with Bodger and Badger, Nicholas? And yes, all the I people do. You've I remember
1: with? everything I've ever done. <laughs> and uh, that was a fascinating experience. It's the first time I've ever been introduced as working with Bodger and Badger. Yeah. And uh, other people think of more interesting things than I've done, but not Richard Herring. <laughs> <laughs> the most l- d- down market thing I've ever done and he says this is welcome in Bodger and Badger. <laughs> Nicholas Boss.
0: It's almost like I deliberately chose something obscure. Uh, Nicholas from the, your The problem your is, very is you see Richard. Theory. Yes.
1: I have had a very long and interesting and eclectic <laughs> career. Yes. I've done so many different things and performed in so many different capacities, it's difficult to define me. See, the trouble is, because I've got a very successful radio show at the moment, and I did a very successful quiz once, I'm known to somebody who was a quiz show host. Sure. I'm not. I'm an actor. In fact, what I say when people say, what do you do? I say, I'm an actor who's done lots of different things. But I became well known as a serious actor, became known as a comedy actor. I was doing a lot of cabaret. But you see, this is the thing about the British. Uh, <laughs> Particularly the English, rather more than the Scots and them. You see, in America, if you do lots of different things, they give you credit for the diversity of your talent. But in this country, they want to confine you. They want to put labels on you. So when the quiz show was successful, they said, oh, he's a quiz show host. When the other thing was, oh, he's a presenter. Oh, he's an actor. Oh, he's a comedian. But I'm not him. all of those bloody of things. Yeah, well... <laughs> Do you know, I don't usually swear on the stage, but... You're welcome to. There must be something about your personality. (laughs)
0: Let's see what we can build you up to. Um, (laughs) Let's see where we can get by this. No, I
1: I couldn't reach your heights. (laughs) Or your depths. Yes, that's that's more correct. Well,
0: you know, it is an amazing thing, because I think... I'm uh, nearly 52 years old. Are you? I'm nearly the exact same same You look look older, actually. Well, what terrifies me is to think that uh, if I had a, as long a career as you, mm-hmm. that I wouldn't yet be halfway through my show business career at 52.
1: Well, I can't I'm, believe I'm 95 years of age. It's so ridiculous. It's ridiculous, unbelievable, <laughs> I Actually, I could tell you, this thing I am quite proud. I am probably the oldest actor continually and working at the present moment. I mean, Richard Attenborough, I mean, uh, David Attenborough's older, but he's, he's not older than me. He's still working, but I, I'm I'm older than him, and I'm actively employed. Well, most people have dropped off the twig by now. They, they certainly <laughs> have. Mm. Uh, I don't well, know how much longer is I can it? hold on.
0: Well, I think I think you must be. A... <laughs> I mean, if you could go now, it'd be very good for the podcast. That's what that would be, be it would be very good for figures. But I'd be I'd be upset. <laughs> But I sold you off. You,
1: you should have to describe what I was doing then for the laugh.
0: <laughs> it's also filmed, so the, well, the people it's who are filmed. listening. You're barely getting your money's worth, aren't you? I am, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas, come I, along, I rang on. him up to offer him the job, and he said, uh, It must be very difficult for you to get guests with the fees you're offering. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's, talk, he's trying to talk up, trying to get more money. I might give him more money, we'll see. see but then see when they, they
1: mentioned the magic name of Richard Herring, I said, oh, of course I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, what is very interesting... <laughs> about your well, no, because have you got
1: questions written down then? I've just
0: got some little helpful things written down. But this I, I have I a conversation
1: without things written we down.
0: Well, I mean, what a lot of people... Because what I was saying is I'm 52 and a lot of people wouldn't know that you had this... Uh, for me, the first time I saw you was Sailor of the Century, well, which it, people mm. of my age will remember. Uh, mm. Other people will know you from Just a Minute, which has been running mm-hmm. as long as I've been alive, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, you were... As you said, you acted in lots of films.
1: You're a film star... No, Um, I was a film star, I was a film... You were a film actor? I I did play the lead in a number of West End shows. Yes. I was in Boeing, Boeing, playing the lead at the Duchess Theatre for 15 months. I mean, this is the things you are proud of. My only name above the title, Nicholas Parfax. There's a lovely story about that, because um, the thing that really... I wanted to regress for a moment, because the thing that really established me was the Arthur Haynes show. Yes. And that was in the 60s. And we were the top comedy show on independent television. And I was well known for uh, working in a comedy partnership. And uh, that broke up because he wanted someone else who didn't get so many laughs. And, um, <laughs> and um, I was standing outside the Duchess Theatre.
0: I've been there, don't worry.
1: <laughs> that wasn't funny, I don't know why you laughed. <laughs> anyway, and this chap walks down, he was probably coming from Common Garden because then it, it was a market. And he said, Here, Nick, here's Nicholas Barton, didn't it? I'll recognise you, yeah. yeah. Nicholas, we don't see you on the old box very much now, do you? I said, well, look up there. He said, Nicholas Parsons in Booing Booing." I said, no, that, 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 that's, a, that's a play in there, Nicholas. That's a play yeah, on the stage doing all the... Yeah, Nicholas, do you realise something? That geezer's got the same name as you. <laughs> that's how they think, you hmm? <laughs> see
0: double act's very interesting. I was also in the double act, Nicholas, which I think was what the, I got a little laugh What for, was your double act? It was with Stuart, a guy called Stuart Lee. He disappeared off the radar a bit. He, <laughs> was, once, once yeah. he, uh, sadly, he didn't die like Arthur Haynes did, <laughs> but he, uh, he, uh, he survived. <laughs> he still survives.
1: <laughs> but uh, It's the first time I've been in a show with a man interviewing who's getting as many laughs as he did.
0: Um, but I'm interested, in the, because you are, you know, throughout your career, and I think still in just a minute, you're a, a fantastic straight man to all the yeah, panellists. Yeah. And I think it's a job that doesn't get the credit it deserves, and because it's so hard to be an well, effective straight man. There,
1: there is a there is a technique. You need to be a foil to the people. In other words, to flatter their ego in a way that it brings the best out of them. I mean, my dear friend Paul Merton who makes these ridiculously rude jokes about my age. And, uh, the, um, and, and people said to me, does Paul actually not like you? <laughs> I said, yes, he's a very good friend. But Paul has got that great comic gift He'd make a joke about my age. Somebody will say something about, um, you know, Caesar and Cleopatra. He said, because you know, Nicholas, you were there, weren't you? And um, in fact, he did say once when I had a big birthday party and he was making a speech, he said, what a lot of people don't know is that Nicholas is actually mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> I believe he did a gig at the Last Supper. <laughs> he said it didn't go very well. <laughs> anyway, beside the point, I mean, I said... Okay, keep it going if you want to keep laughing <laughs> I said once in the show I said yes I, I'm very lucky one because my, my brain is obviously many years younger than my age but in my legs I certainly feel my age and he said well it's a good thing it's not the other way around isn't it <laughs> otherwise you could go on a good long walk and not the bloody hell you were
0: but this you know there's something It nearly about...
1: happened this evening by the way I couldn't find this place
0: <laughs> I tell you, we made so many arrangements that you wouldn't get lost and we still lost you. But, you know, it's, at least we found you again.
1: Well, no, you didn't find me. Strangers in the street found me. <laughs> I mean, this is true. A lovely fellow comes up to me. The, the driver of the, of the uh, taxi that brought me here. He was lovely, too. He walked down carrying the bag. I got some books, you see, if, you want, if you want one afterwards. But you don't have to buy one. Anyway, but so, and this fellow walks up and he recognised me. And so he chatted to me, can I have a selfie? I said, well, if you must. And, 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 and he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I've come to do a show. He said, well, at that theatre there. I said, well, I think it's that theatre. And he chatted to me and he waited. I mean, if it hadn't been for him, I'd still be out in the bloody street there. <laughs> it was part of our plan, but I, wish bird, I hadn't didn't, it didn't go to. It wasn't very funny, was it, really? <laughs> but it was true.
0: <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning, uh, to of, the beginning of your life. Yes. It's a long time ago, um, not as long ago as we were just discussing. But your dad was a doctor, Is there a, a yes, practitioner. I was
1: born in a little market town in Lincolnshire called Grantham.
0: Yes. which we I always
1: pause there, because a lot of people in the audience know that a certain very well-known politician was also born in Grantham. <laughs> not with this audience, anyway. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher. Do you heard the name? <laughs> anyway, and my father who was a doctor in her practice there, and amongst... Of course, when she was a little girl, she was Margaret Roberts, and he had amongst his patients the Roberts family. And when a journalist... And they loved to, you know, embroider stories. When they heard that my father, who was the um, doctor to the Roberts family, he embroidered on it and said, Nicholas Parson's father brought Margaret Roberts into this world. (laughs) Well, of course he didn't, and he was a very discreet doctor. He would never have mentioned it, even if he had... I phoned the guy up. I said, you know, that wasn't true, what you said. It's embarrassing. He said, not really, Nicholas. It made a good story, didn't it? Anyway, I never liked her. All I can say is if he did, he should have shoved her back again.
0: (laughs) She'd have found a way out. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it, uh, so, as a young man, they, they didn't really want you to be an actor. Your parents is that is that? No, no.
1: I wanted to be an actor from the earliest age I can remember. But I was born at a time when you didn't do it. I mean, nowadays everybody wants to get into show business. Look at these talent shows. There thousands of them queuing up to come on there. And when I said to my father that I was wanted to be an actor, I mean his attitude was typical of the time of theirs. I he said, "Oh, don't be ridiculous." He said, "That's not a proper job." And my mother, of course, was um, horrified. Though She used to go to the theater or not, but she thought everybody in the theater was either debased or debauched or degenerate. And I said to my mother, I said, you, you admire people, uh, you know, Laurence Olivier and Ralph Richardson and Peggy Ashcroft and Sybil. She said, yes, I do. I said, well, do you think they'd like all those people you describe? She said, no, but isn't it a pity they have to work with those sort of people? <laughs> so I knew I wasn't gonna get anywhere there. <laughs> and was she
0: right when you did start working with them? Were they all debauched Absolutely, debauch- I'm now
1: working with Richard Herring. <laughs> <laughs> so you did some other... I ju- see, I'm d- delighted you've dressed for the occasion. Thank you, I this, said, is yeah, a, yeah. this is my <laughs> smartest jumper. <laughs> he said, you will be wearing a collar and tie, won't you? <laughs> I said, well, what are you wearing? He said, well, I'm wearing something smart. That's his smart outfit uh. Smart.
0: Next week, I'm going to wear a suit. <laughs> Actually, my,
1: pa- my uncle then took a hand, because he pointed out that I was always quite clever with my hands, which I see being creative, because I was, I still do take grandfather clocks to pieces and put them together again. Did a programme about it called Marie Antoinette's. Oh, it doesn't matter, you probably didn't hear it. Anyway, <laughs> well, it was a very good comm- um, documentary. Anyway, uh, um, he got in touch with some relations. In, in Glasgow, because I've got some Scottish blood. And they got in touch with friends. And the next thing I knew, at the beginning of the war, I was just over 16 years of age, they'd arranged for me to begin an engineering apprenticeship on Clydebank. <laughs> and I went straight from the protected atmosphere of a well-to-do professional middle class family to the rough, aggressive attitude of Clydebank. <laughs> I didn't know what they were talking about to begin with. I'll oh, probably tell you now, like, i still come in. I saw right now. I jump out. I'll come back. And of course, I was, I came up there. With, I, I remember how much of a public school accent then, you know, and I would talk very much more like that. So can you imagine on working there? And I suddenly said, well, chaps, what are we going to do today? And I mean, I remember one of the apprentices came to me one day. and he said, in hey, Ecuador, i to ask you a question. I said, are you a boss's man? And I thought, I know what's behind that question. I said, wh- why? I said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't know the bosses at all. Well, of course I knew them. They got me the bloody job. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he said, because uh, oh, that's OK. Because I mean, you're you- you mucking. I'll tell you this Nick. You get your horns over. I'll teach you who to be a man. But the time you leave here, you'll be a man, I'll tell you. <laughs> because you-, you make us laugh and all that. But, but I'm t- if you were a boss, his man, my like, neck. Oh, You'll you, you be finished. We'll crucify you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? I survived under this environment, and I, I did five years there. And they became my mates. And this is my real. Actually, I realized it was. I think it was the showbiz instinct. Because if you walk on, you know, you need to make a rapport with your audience. And I think I realized instinctively that I had to make those chaps my friend. Otherwise, I would be, I would be crucified. Of course, yeah. And uh, but it was, it was a. Living, learning experience. In fact, it's one of the few things I'm really proud of. Far more than my professional things I did five years. And and they're, they're wonderful people. They're wonderful. They are the salt of the earth.
0: Well, it is. Whoever sent you there must have been trying to kill you, Nicholas. That's that's <laughs> their, so. Well done for surviving.
1: Well, you're trying to do a pretty good job <laughs> no, I'm now. Not, I'm not. Well, what I've, other questions have you got? I think there? you're remorseful. I've
0: got, well, there's lots just some things to remind me about that you did. Well, like with the films, did you, did you do a film called An Alligator Named Daisy?
1: Yeah, I did, actually. What, what did you and,
0: play in An Alligator Named Daisy and what was going on in that film? Is it, how oh,
1: time? I, you remind me of something I'd forgotten about until now? Okay. But they did have real alligators, there. did they? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there was a woman who train these things, these alligators with them. And I don't know what part I was playing that, it was such a long time ago, but they were, all I remember was those bloody alligators. <laughs> yeah, they were quite frightening. Um, I was probably playing some pompous twit. Was... <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they cast me a lot of, of rather pompous English people. Yeah. And I'm not, a, I'm really a more of a Scot than, a, than an Englishman. Really. I mean, uh, that's me, I'm dimmed and all that. but. Uh, Sorry, we're it's not quite back now. now. <laughs> <laughs> back in <Claybank. laughs>
0: uh, But um, you, the people. Well, it's, there's so many film credits. It's incredible. Uh, things that films that people might remember now carry on regardless. You're Carry
1: On regardless. Uh, Is that the only Carry
0: On film you're
1: in? Uh, yes, the only Carry On because they had their own thing. I did a lot of films for the Bolting Brothers. Um, uh, um, Carlton Brown at the FO. Oh yes. The, the brothers-in-law. That was the biggest film role I had. Right. With Richard Attenborough and. Um, um, uh, he's dead now. They all are dead, actually. Now. And,
0: uh, I mean, even Bodger's dead now. So, I mean, you, you've, outlived, you've outlived everyone. You want
1: to, you want to rub this bloody Bodger? <laughs> <thing, laughs>
0: Badger has been a lot quieter since yeah. then as well. <laughs> so, you have outlived. I know the world.
1: biggest film part I had was with Jerry Lewis. Yes. The American comedian. Don't raise the bridge, lower the river. Yes. And he was an absolute character. And, uh, I to uh, ask oh you about yes, that. he 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 was well the, he was the American attitude that if you're a star, you can throw well, your weight about and he did. Yes. And uh, and I had to have a fight with him at one time. They got a stand in for that actually. Oh, right, um, but uh, uh yes, I remember that. It's not very funny this story. I don't know why we're talking about uh, well, it. Well
0: but... I was interested to work <clears> with Jerry Lewis. <clears> so
1: yeah, it's... I did. And um the um, I, I you see the the British, the British and Americans have a different attitude. Um when I did the Carry On film, uh, they worked to a very tight schedule, and that's the reason they get those wonderful people for modest prices. And uh, I, I did a scene there, and it was a very long scene with wine being poured over by, by Jones-Simmers James at the end. And the, the director, a lovely man, he said, well, how was that for you? And I said, well, I thought the run-through went much better. And he said, do you want to do it again? I said, well, I'm delighted to do it again if you want. And we did it again. Then he phones up my agent and he said, It's difficult, we're not going to have him again. <laughs> and I remember because when I was doing the Jerry Lewis film, there was an American director. And, and he said at the end of one scene, Do you want to do it again? Because we can do a better one. I said, Yeah, we can do a better one. And I said, I just want to remember? I said, Come back, come back, come here, I know. Because I was sitting in bed at the time. I, I said, No, I don't want to do it again, I don't want to. And I told him that story. And this is the difference between the Americans and the British. He said to me, Nicholas, if you think you can do a better one, we're going to do another take. Please, do it. But it must have been better. And we did it, he said, great. We did the right thing. Now, that's the American attitude. The British was, you're wasting cello tape. Not cello tape, was it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's very interesting. You know, when you do lots of different work, you work with different people, different nationalities, they all have different ideas.
0: But the Carry On films, really, they were trying to get everything out very cheaply. And famously, none of the none of the cast of Carry On ever saw any of the money that must have come in. They, they, the they
1: weren't well paid. No. And they you know, they were very successful. Yeah. And they had their own team and they all came back. I mean, the, 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 all they could say was that they had continuity of employment. And to be employed in our profession, which has got the biggest unemployment ratio in the world... Um, th- that's what they had. They had the security of knowing if there was a part in the next Carry On films, they would be cast. Sure. Mm. And you, but
0: you've worked pretty much. I mean, has there been any times when you weren't working? Is
1: it there no, been difficult no. times? Yeah, I, even tonight I'm working. You're working, don't you? When you can find the venue, that is, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have been... I mean, it's one of the few things you can be proud of. I mean, show business. Yes, I have continuously worked. But then, as I said right at the beginning... I've spread my talents such as it is over a very broad spectrum of entertainment. And if something came along, I mean, when the quiz show came, I'd never done a quiz show, and I was phoned up by the head of uh, production at Anglia Television, and he said, Nicholas, would you like to do a quiz? And I thought, well, that's an interesting idea. I've never done that. So he said, well, meet me in London at the Anglia Studios, because then there's all the different areas, you know, there's the ATB and different that covered different areas of the country. And this was the um, Anglia area, based in Norwich. And I met him and he showed me this uh, tape of a show called *Sale of the Century, but a very laid back American asking some very simple questions. And I said, I couldn't do that. He said, no, 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 Nicholas, we have commissioned it and we would like you to front it. So you do it your way. And I said, well, I'm an actor. and I know if you can create a sense of drama and excitement, it's better. And so I said, the last session of questions, I'll ask some very simple questions and get attention going. And I used to write all the questions. They never told me to get paid for that. <laughs> and um, Anyway, so we did. And um, it did go very well. But then again, the press in those days, can you believe it? In those days, the press hated quiz shows. Yes. They, they were always very critical of them. and Anybody who fronted them got all the flack. Bob Monkhouse and, and Bruce Forsyth and myself. Because... They wanted to sort of raise the sights of the, of the viewing public. Nowadays, I mean, nearly every other show's a quiz show, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so I got there. was a terrible press. They say you're spitting out the questions of the contestants. I used to get to know them beforehand to put them at their ease.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, people said, Did anything funny ever happen? No, no. In comedy shows, things happen which are funny. But in there, you try to avoid it. I mean, the, the, the funniest thing that ever happened with, with, with one answer I had was with a very simple question for one part. I said, according to the proverb, what should you not do if you live in a glass house? And she's pressed her buzzer and said, take a bath. <laughs> Which, of course, it'd have been a comedy show. You'd have given a bonus bottle, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but the best story of all its an absolute true story. I used to go and chat to them beforehand to put them at their ease, so they'd be at ease. I said, towards the end, i were going much quicker. And if I, don't be inhibited if I cut you off. Look at it logically. The more questions I can get in, in the time available, win or lose, the more money you're gonna make. So I chatted to them. I got, I had all my cards in front of me. I said, I see you're a school teacher. and We talked about her for a bit. And I turned to the second contestant. I said, according to this information I have here, you're a pawnbroker. He said, well, Nicholas, I'm not really a pawnbroker. He said, I was a pawnbroker once, but you now he says, it's a, I've got a lot of barrows down the east end of London. He said, oh, family business, you know. Different barrows, different members of the family. All cash, nothing declared, money in, the, <laughs> money in the back of the hand. Do you understand what I mean? And I thought, well, I can't come on television and say, I've got a cash business, you know, nothing declared. So I thought, oh, no, I, was a, I call myself a pawnbroker. Comes covers a multitude of sins. And he went on like this for a bit, then he turned to the third contestant, and he said, and um, um, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm an income tax inspector. <laughs> that is an absolutely true story. I've never seen a man go white on the spot. He didn't do very well in the show. Mm.
0: It was a huge show. You got 21 million viewers.
1: Yes, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. at one time, one year, we had the top number of viewing figures 21 million. Yeah. Beat every other show, Morecambe and Wise, and everything. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know why it was so successful. I just got up and did my job there. But it it's was. A, it's,
0: one of those, you know, but it's one of those things that I think everyone remember. If you saw it, you remember it, the night turning round at the yeah, beginning, yeah, yeah. now from yeah. Norwich, the quiz of the week. It was a, mm. it was, it was a very memorable show. You know, to...
1: Oh yes, I mean, I like to think so. <laughs> we wouldn't have the viewing figures if no, not. Exactly. Know. You know, but but well, when it finished, it didn't finish because it, it ran out, but at that time, the IBA ruled the roost of what was on the, the network. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't allow more than uh, three major giveaway programmes. And they thought it was time another company did a show and they took ours off. Well, we had run for 15 years, which was pretty good. But, you know, I got so... What I was saying earlier, I got so identified with it, known probably to most people as a quiz show host, I found I couldn't get any work for a while. It was was a time, it was a battle. In fact, I I got myself back with an amazing programme. A friend of mine called um, uh, um, David uh, Lawrence, he he put a programme on... Uh, rediffusion did it. I don't know whether these names mean anything to me, do they? Yeah. To some Four of us. people. <laughs> <laughs> and they were doing a programme on called Night Network, which was running from 11 o'clock at night to 3 in the morning. And you couldn't have it now. And he met me, funnily enough, at just not very far from here, at the Waldorf Hotel, and a, a very strange place to meet for a, for a broad show. And um, he said, we're going to a, a quiz there called the All New Alphabet Game, which is really anarchic and it was mostly pop people and so forth and um, i got a lot of photograph of uh, alice cooper and myself and, <laughs> and i asked these weird questions in a very kind atmosphere it was very limited but it took off and suddenly i got a new following amongst the the youth the yes. new generation of people well, you've never
0: been afraid to send yourself up and i think no but no. that's great because it, there's the, the character of mm. nicholas parsons not the real Nicholas Parsons, is a sort of pompous...
1: There's a pompous I'm very good at playing pompous you characters, are. yes.
0: And so, and so they're, they're there to put you with Alice Cooper or uh, Rick Mayle and Adrian Edmondson. you work Well, with the result of that,
1: you see, then uh, the comic strip yeah, the with comic Rick Mayle and Adrian Edmondson, Mr. Jolly Lives Next Door, yeah. in which they sent me up absolutely rotten. <laughs> I got the script, actually, and this is typical <laughs> because I read it and they, they were going to take the absolute piss out of this character in it. And um, I'm ready. I I am phoned my agent up and I said, I think that is a brilliant script. Yeah, I'd love to do it. And there there's a pause. <laughs> she said, would you really? <laughs> I said, yes, I think it's a very funny script. And I think they'd offered it to others. So they said, Good God, I couldn't be treated like that. <laughs> and they, these two drunken so-and-so ran a thing called the... did anybody see Mr. Yes. Jolly Lives Next on? <laughs> Dreamy time escorts, do you remember? Oh, yeah. And they took the absolute mickey out of me. And, uh, and, uh, and oh, yes, Peter, um, uh, Peter Cook was in it. He played uh, Mr. Jolly, who's, a, who's cut up bodies. So it was absolutely unbelievable. You end up dead you know. in a
0: wardrobe, don't you? That's the, I and remember and
1: a, a lovely story. They had to do a scene where they, these two outrageous characters had knocked somebody off the road. And there were all kinds of people in, who were well-known then. John um, French was playing a sort of walk-on role. And anyway, it was unbelievable. And they picked up the, a card from these things, which was uh, Evening at the Dorchester with Nicholas Parsons. And they went along and they, they pretended to be the winners. And they had to do a scene where they arrived in their dreamy time escort and pick up Nicholas Parsons at the BBC. Well, the BBC wouldn't have any of that. They wouldn't let him do it. So they found a, a wonderful building in the, somewhere in the city somewhere. And there was a real commissioner there sitting there and they did the scene, they arrived, and they dragged me out and put me in that thing. And uh, I was talking to this commissioner, fellow. he said, "You, um, Nicholas, I'll, I'll remember you when you were there at Arthur Haynes, you know. He, he said, he really did take to make it. And he said, uh, but these geezers, he said, uh, they're really happy to go, aren't they? <laughs> oh, I said, no, I said, it's all much the same as Arthur Haynes, just having fun at my expense, and I'm good at being the fall guy. He said, No, come off it, Nick. I mean, Arthur Ames took the Mickey out of you, but these two are taking the full piss, aren't they? (laughs) And they did take the full piss. It was a very, very popular show.
0: Yeah, it was an amazing... Well, you know, again, that was my, very much my era when I got massively into comedy, so the comic strip and all the stuff... The massively into massively comedy. Massively into comedy. What is the
1: difference between moderately well, and massively? Well, I,
0: yeah. I think deciding to do it for the rest of your life mm. is probably the, the, the turnover period. But Rick and Rick Mail especially, but all the comic oh, stripers okay, were... Yeah. were uh, and again, you've outlived Rick Mail as well, so there you go, there's another one. Mm-hmm. Is anyone, no. Does anyone survive working with Nicholas Walsh? <laughs> Adrian Edmondson's still fine.
1: this. I, d- I didn't quite get there, you muddled it. Like you. Got a good laugh, I'll say it again.
0: <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't remember what it was now. Mm. And you worked with Benny Hill as well, of course. Oh, I worked with
1: Benny for a time. Yeah. Benny was absolutely lovely. I mean, I don't know why he got cascaded for being political. Well, One of two of his sketches were politically incorrect, but that was the comedy of the time. But he was a sweet, lovely man to work with. He really was a very lovely person. But unlike Arthur Haynes... Um, who never mind me getting laughs on character, but I didn't have the gag lines. He made that quite clear. He was a comic. Yeah. And I was the foil. But I could, you know, till I got too many laughs, and then he got rid of me. Um, but, but, but Benny, um, no, no, he was at always, he was at the old-fashioned comic. He had all the laugh lines. Yeah. And he said to me once, we were rehearsing a sketch, he said, no, always he was such a sweet man. No, Nicky, Nicky, just say the words on the page. <laughs> Don't, Try and make them funny. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> and but he was so sweet about it. I just went along with it all.
0: It's interesting that there are there's some comedians who are just happy if there are laughs, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter who gets the laughs. Mm-hmm. And then there are those comedians who yes. are get, are get put out if if they're
1: not getting well. there's the right. Stark I mean, there's the old-fashioned comedian. I mean, Ken Dodd and all those. I mean, they, they had to have a laugh. Benny Hill and everybody. Yeah. Uh, nowadays. I mean, I think comedians are much more generous. You know, if it's going well and people are getting laughs. The show is a success. So they're benefiting from that.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, so you, were, you did play, the, you did the Ed Sullivan show with Arthur things. as well. That's you? right. Yeah.
1: Oh, I'll tell you a lovely story there. Because Arthur had already said to me, could we done summer season together? And we were up in Scarborough. And he said, um, Nicholas, let's have a drink. We often had a drink afterwards and discussed the show. And he said, I've been thinking. I think we should separate. I said, but Arthur, we're at the peak of our success. We've done this wonderful season at the London Palladium. You know, we're at the top of the ratings. He said, I know, but he said, um, you do your own bits and pieces. I said, well, you go off and do films and so forth. But anyway, he said, no, no, we'll do another series together. And then we'll go to America together. I think he didn't want to go to America with someone new. So we did the series. We went to America on the Ed Sullivan Show. And that was the top comedy show on uh, well, the top show, actually, on, on television in America. And Ed Sullivan had a pedestal at the side of the stage, and the scene would be acted out there. And we did the run-through of the sketch we were doing of the first show. And afterwards, Ed Sullivan walked over. He didn't go to Martha Haynes. He came to me. He said, young man, I want to shake you by the hand. You are the finest straight man I've ever seen. <laughs> and you should have seen Arthur's face. And then he turned to Arthur Haynes, he said, This guy's good. You want to hold on to him. Don't let him go. He makes you look good. (laughs) You should have seen Arthur's face.
0: Well, it's a shame because that's, you know, it's a real skill. I think, I, think, I just say, I was saying before, I think a lot of straight men, Ernie Wise, everyone always said, oh, Ernie, you know, Eric Morecambe's the funny one. But Morecambe and Wise worked because Ernie Wise was, was such well, a brilliant straight man they're, and they're, a very
1: they're, funny character. Com- yeah, com- yeah, but he, he got laughs as well. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, they were, they were a partnership. They, yeah. they found the, the, the character, of the foil, which was the best way to make it work, yeah. which is what Arthur Haynes and I did. But um, Arthur's the old-fashioned comedian. He didn't like me getting too much attention. But, um, I mean, you should be pleased. I mean, the more attention anybody gets, I mean, Just a Minute's a good example. Yes. I mean, if you're successful... Like Paul Merton, who's brilliant in it. But Paul is one of the most generous comedians I know. I mean, if, the, if he's dominating and going very well, he'll often hold back yes. to give others a chance because he knows the success of the show is more important than his own individual success. And um, sometimes c- comics... Uh, they, they, they're full of insecurity. That's why they became comedians. <laughs> to get a laugh, to be reassured. You know, like Richard Herring. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm wicked, I'm sometimes, forgive <laughs> me that.
0: So like, I'll be your foil, I don't mind being a straight man. But, uh, the you're straight laugh, you're straight getting man.
1: a lot of laughs, actually. That's why, we, that's why we're never
0: going to work together again, isn't it, Nicholas? <laughs> <laughs> this is the end of this double act. <laughs> Look, Just A Minute is... Um, I've been on Just A Minute, which was an amazing career goal for me... ...and mm. it was a, b- a beautiful thing to be on. But I used to listen to that all through... I mean, all, again, all through my life, mm. I reckon. And I, I, I mean, as much as I think it's a brilliant show still... Mm. And, ...and I Pink Paul Merton is a, an incredible player of it, especially. Mm. That period where Kenneth Williams and Peter Jones mm. and Clement Freud, mm. uh, Derek Nimmo... Mm. ...that was an amazing
1: show. You know, like a lot of shows which are successful... It had the most ghastly beginning. It was a disaster, the pilot. They didn't want it. It was only because we had a very clever young man called uh, David Hatch, who'd just come down from Cambridge and had joined the staff. It was, the, it was it, This was his actually first producing job right. as a radio light entertainment producer. And um, it was an utter, utter bloody disaster. And um, But he saw the potential and he fought for it. And I, didn't, I wasn't going to be the chairman originally, you know. It was going to be um, um, Jimmy Edwards, which was a good choice because he had a programme there called Does the Team Think, in which he had four comedians out living and so forth. And David came to me one day and said, Nicholas, we're never going to get Jimmy on a Sunday when we want to record the pilot. So will you do the pilot for me? I said, no, David, I'm wrong. I don't want that job. It's not right for me. I want to get back to doing improvised comedy. That's why I sold Ian Messer's idea. He said, well, do me a favor. You be chairman for the pilot, and if we get the series, you will go back on the panel. I said, OK. We did the pilot, and I told you. It was a disaster. You see, Ian Messiter, who thought of the idea, was a great inventor. But he wasn't a great, great producer. I mean, he gave us rounds, well, not us, we gave them rounds, where they couldn't use a plural. I mean, it's a fiendishly <laughs> difficult game to play anywhere. <laughs> yes. Another round where you couldn't use the, the personal pronoun. Another rhyme where you couldn't use the definitive article. And it was all bitty, bitty, bitty. It really was terrible. And um, it's always fascinating to think that from this incredible disaster, an amazing success has arisen. Because David Hatch then came to me. He said, Nicholas, I fought for this. I really put my job on the line. And he said, we've got the series. But there was one thing they quite liked in the pilot, and that was your chairmanship. I said, but David... I was awful. He said, I know, but so was everybody else. (laughs) So when you get offered a good job in show business, you don't turn it down. You try and find a way to make that job work for you. So I called on my professional experiences in all the other areas I'd worked. And uh, as I say on my one-man comedy show, which I do around the country, I must have done something right, because I'm still doing that job after 52 years. (laughs)
0: the chairman is is an incredibly demanding role i mean it's so the way you keep i I don't think i could do it the way you keep hold of all the information the way you are are ahead of the contestants or in the panel in terms of where the repetitions are it's there's so much to corral around there i think
1: that's the reason i'm younger in my brain than i am because (laughs) i've got a job i have to concentrate in an incredibly intense way because i've no backup I mean, if someone presses a buzzer and says uh, repetition, I have to remember whether he did repeat that word, you know, 50 minutes, seconds earlier. And um, I I developed a sort of memory technique of following the gist and knowing, because you've got to keep it going. I mean, somebody said to me, do you have a backup? I said, can you imagine in a radio show, repetition, let's play the tape back. (laughs) Let's listen to it. Um, Yes, he did repeat it, all right. Oh, it's all gone to pieces by then. So you have to <coughs> concentrate like stink, and, um, and um, it, it is very, very demanding. And, and as I say, I think you have to use your brain in such a way that probably, because I'm a great believer, it helps to keep you young the more you use your brain. You couldn't care. Less, <laughs> <laughs> I don't use that
0: brain.
1: And <laughs> I say, well, aren't I lucky? I've got a job when I have to use my brain so intensely, it's helping to keep me young.
0: So use your and brain. Sometimes it's
1: audience They laugh at wonderful things you say, and then they go bloody quiet.
0: <laughs> they're and, thinking, uh, they're thinking, oh, I better start using my brain. Than for the, the, some of that, that guy's never used his brain in his life. He's thinking, oh God, I'm going to die next week. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought it through. It, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely, mm. I, I, remember, I think the first time I did, uh, just a minute, it was in Edinburgh, and you did recorded two shows, so it's mm. a, bit, a impressive to do two mm. in a day. But you'd also tripped over quite badly in the first show. You tripped over a speaker or something. Do you remember this in Edinburgh about six or seven years ago? And everyone was obviously very worried that you'd fallen over. But you just got up and carried on and did two shows after having quite a bad fall. So it's, that's.
1: I, I did have a nasty accident, yeah. yes. But um, I've forgotten how I. I, 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 I damn it. Oh, well, no, it wasn't that. I was staying in digs. Right. And um, the phone went early in the morning. And it was in the other room. And I got out of bed. Bed which you know, I'm not used to. It was, yeah. And they had a little mat on the floor. And as I got out of bed, my feet went from under me like that. And I fell over and I hit my head on the edge of a oh. bedside table. Like and I was lucky because if it had been a bit lower, it would have been the eye. And it caught me across there and I got a. There's a scar there if you want to look closely. I could ask you all to come and have a look. when <laughs> you look like have
0: there. a look when they and, inside um, the
1: books. And uh, <clears> then <throat> also on the eyebrow. And um, <coughs> I didn't know what to do, because the blood was everywhere. Um, are they interested in this story? Yes,
0: they, they? are. They. We, love it. Yeah. we like,
1: it? I like a bit of blood. Do you do like a bit blood. <coughs> And so um, it was instinct. I mean, I picked up the phone and dialed home and spoke to my wife. <laughs> and I just said, I've had this accident, I'm bleeding like hell. And she said, you've got to go to hospital. And I said, I know that, but I just wanted to talk to somebody. So... <laughs> Anyway, I phoned up the office, it was a lovely girl, and she'd come in early. I told her what had happened, and she saved my life. She said, stay there, I'm coming straight down. And <coughs> what she did was she got a taxi to take me to the hospital. I think she'd warned them that there was an emergency coming in, and he had to work there, because um, I went in, and they went, shuffled me straight through. And this very young <laughs> Australian doctor came in, and... <coughs> He was a living image of, who's the chap who does the last leg? Um, uh, Adam
0: Hills. Adam
1: Mills. Yeah. Adam Hills. And he'd just been my guest on the show. Right. And this fellow was Australian, looked exactly like Adam Hills. <laughs> and I think I've got an alternative comedian who's stitching me up. <laughs> <laughs> and he stitched me up. I went back. And uh, they said, you go? I said, no, I've got to work tonight. So I went on then for the next two or three hours with this huge patch over my hair. Yeah. yeah. You know, you do your show, but you keep going. Darling Sandy Toxwick was on the show as my guest. But, uh, she said, come off in, Nicholas. We know it didn't really happen. You <laughs> <laughs> got pissed and fell over in the gutter, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and so
0: you're still going up to the free... You do your show, I'm Happy going Hour up again this year, year, yes. Yeah?
1: I do a thing called the Nicholas Parsons Happy Hour, where I do a bit of stand-up, yeah, and then uh, I throw out gifts to the audience just to you know, engage them with them. And then I have guests from the different shows, and they come on and plug their show, and we have a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, what is so lovely is, I mean, people like Jason Byrne, who packs them out every night up there his show in a huge venue. He doesn't need to come on. He comes on because he's a chum. Yeah. It's lovely. And I interview them. We chat, and we have a lot of laughs, and um, it's been very successful. I used to do three weeks. I cut it down to two, and now I cut it down to ten days, which is quite enough. Um, it back- is. My wife says to me at the end of the season, you're not coming back, are you? <laughs> I said, I don't think I can resist it. So bless her heart, she's coming up to help me again. And um, I love the atmosphere at Edinburgh. It's, it, it's something very special, the Edinburgh Festival. Were you were
0: the first Edinburgh Fringe, was that? Was I was in it quite early Edinburgh, on, yes. Yeah.
1: But I did a different show then. I did a, a show I do around the country as well called... It's a cultural show about... The nonsense poet Edward Lear. Right. And then I did another show where I did questions and answers, and it evolved into this, the happy hour show. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoy it. It's, it's lovely. And if you're coming up, by the way, it's at the peasants, <laughs> uh, uh, at the cabaret bar, and uh, it's a lovely little intimate venue there. Yeah.
0: And my show's also, it's basically the same thing. <laughs> With a bit more swearing in it. Which, are, you at, uh, are, are, are you at the I'm doing the, the Newtown theatre in uh, George Street.
1: Oh right, yes.
0: Um, doing this, chatting to people.
1: This is the Pleasance Courtyard. Yeah. And the cabaret bar.
0: Yeah.
1: Anyway, yeah, mine's at the Newtown
0: theatre, Josh.
1: So, <laughs> we could go on though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Gotta just keep on saying. But it. nobody's
1: making any notes.
0: We'll give him a pad. Hmm. We'll give him a leaflet on the way out. Hmm. Was Kenneth Williams as 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 crazy off stage as on stage? I mean I love what I loved about him and just a minute was just the childishness of the way he got upset about No, no because
1: Kenneth I knew him very well. I was in rep with Kenneth actually. Yeah, yeah. I've got some wonderful stories I did in my one man show, but I'm not gonna waste them here and uh... <laughs> And I knew him very well. And um, <laughs> he was um, he was eccentric and he was difficult. Yeah. I mean, but the other thing about Kenneth was, towards the end, he loved being on Just a Minute. It was his favourite job. Yeah. Because it gave him a chance to show off his knowledge and erudition because he was self-taught. Yes. You know, he came from this little barber shop in uh, Marchman Street near uh, King's Cross. And, mm. um, uh, and uh, because... A lot of people don't know, he originally he had aspirations to be taken seriously as an actor. Yeah. He was a very good straight actor. Yeah. He got an award for playing the Dauphin in Bernard Shaw St. Joan at the Arts Theatre. Yeah. Um, but he, he, these voices he put on, which were character voices to get a laugh in the carry-ons, and he became identified with him. And if you read his diaries, he was never proud of the fact about that, because he didn't want to be known for that. He wanted to be known for his, his ability, his talent. So he loved doing Just a Minute. I always introduced him last, and he used to walk on the stage and stick his little bottom out. <laughs> and he played to the audience. He always had the chair down there. And Ian Mesut, who thought of the subjects, would often give him something rather uh, uh, intellectual, like Aphrodite. And he knew he knew something about him. So he freed himself, and he <laughs> he'd do all that sort of stuff. And he start off, start talking about Aphrodite, and then he'd be challenged for hesitation. And then he'd go into a strop, because he knew the subject had been chosen for him. The others didn't want the bloody thing. (laughs) And then I had to nurse him, I knew, had to nurse him out of it. And I somehow would twist a challenge to get him back in. I said, now, Kenneth, I'm sure you know more about this. I'm sure they were just waiting, look, the audience... Look, they're of They're longing to hear from you. You've got another 30 seconds. Carry on. Uh, and uh, this is how he played it. He played yeah. to the audience. And then, you see, he, it's what you brought up. You <coughs> do that thing. If he was challenged, <coughs> and he knew it probably Chosen subject for him, he so said. That's when he went into his strop. No, you you ruined it for me. No, no. Oh, you're fools to yourselves. No. Oh no, that's not messing about with me. I'm not I, I know about if you don't know if now let me have a go. and he would do it, you see, to get the laugh. But all the time, he was really bloody angry.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, you could never tell whether it was real. But I just think it's a, it's a, it's the way you have to play. You have to, It's like being a straight man. You have to play it seriously. And being on those panel shows, you have to play it, even if it is the truth. You have to play, be that competitive yeah, yeah, yeah. in order for it. It was so entertaining. Mm. Uh, but it is, you know, it's it's a it's an incredibly difficult game to play. It's I seriously know, it's, difficult
1: because, I once said once, it's you think of hesitation, repetition, deviation, and. In in the world of comedy, I mean, you hesitate for effect, uh, you, you deviate for, uh, as I and you repeat for emphasis. Yeah. And there are the three things you can't do in just a minute. And it's a comedy show. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing. And because um, course, uh, Clement Freud was very difficult. Now, he was a difficult one, because he resented the fact that I was moving the program forward and making subtle changes in the rules in order to make it more uh, user-friendly and entertaining. And he resented it. He wanted to keep it in the old fashioned way, as it was when it first started. But if they'd done that, it would have gone the way of sort of My Word and My Music, two wonderful shows. Yes. But they were, died a natural death, yeah. you see. But ours has changed, got new people in, has evolved, and <coughs> is still going strong. And um, why was I saying this?
0: Oh, it's, it's very—it's it's a fascinating <coughs> thing. I think. It, it, do you think it will go on forever, the show, or do you think it's? We can
1: make it go on forever if you keep refreshing it in different yeah. ways, which I try to do. And yeah. uh, as you pay me the compliment of saying, oh, I'm a, bit, a good foil or a straight man or so forth," <coughs> but you know how to flatter people to get the best response. You yeah. See? And if you get to know them, then it's um, and and I have fun at their expense, but I think you lay yourself open to being uh, having. I don't say, it's not being ridiculed, because ridicule is embarrassing. But having fun at someone's expense. as you've had a bit of fun at my expense this evening, and we've laughed.
0: I think you've had a bit of fun at my expense.
1: <laughs> but this is what we're talking about, this yeah, is how I know it? how to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yes, I've had a lot of fun at your expense. <laughs> um, and it's got some good laughs as well. <laughs> Probably more laughs at your expense than you've ever had before. <laughs> <laughs> do most no. people send you up like that?: Yeah, they do, yes. yeah. Right, That's yeah.
0: Right. yeah. This, is my, this is my job. This is my role on
1: this yeah. Maybe You've got maybe. a lot of bloody writing there, what is it you?
0: It's just to remind me... Well, that the things that I have to talk to you about, that this lot will be upset if I don't mention, is you being Reverend Wainwright in Doctor Who. Oh, yes, They I love Doctor that. Who, this lot. Really. Which Doctor Who did you work
1: with? Uh, Sylvester McCoy. OK, yeah. And... Um, I, I, it was amazing. I didn't understand what it was all about, but... It, <laughs> <laughs> but you just act the part, and uh, so forth. Yes, I was a very serious do- doctor. We were did locations in the, somewhere in, uh, near Reading. I remember we were near a church, and I was already dressed up as the vicar, and so forth. And this woman came up to me and said, Oh, vicar, I wanted to speak to... Uh, the, the woman's um, uh, the meeting on Sunday. Do you think we could... possibly?" I said, I think you'll need to speak to the actual vicar of the church. <laughs> I'm doing a film here. Oh, she said, my God, I recognize you, you're Nicholson I. Oh, and you know, she was overcome. <laughs> but uh, I think Johnny Spate, who wrote a lot of the um, um, sketches for Arthur Haynes, uh, he wrote a lot of sketches with vicars in them. Can you believe when he first wrote it? We weren't allowed to do it because you couldn't have a comedy sketch with a vicar. Well, they had strong rules. Anyway, eventually we won the day. And he ran a lot of vicars. And he (laughs) said to me, he he said, well, well, Johnny had a a, a bad study. I I, I, I love love the sketch when you're a vicar. Because he said, I mean, you you look like a bloody vicar. (laughs) I said, vicars aren't bloody. (laughs) don't Do you know, I wish I hadn't told that story. It didn't mean a <laughs> bloody thing, did it?
0: <laughs> There's no way back. There's no way back. And you, are you annoyed that Giles Brandreth took your record as the longest after he in a speech?
1: Well, I, sh- I beat him once. Yeah. But, but Giles is very competitive. He couldn't bear uh, to... We shared it right. for a time. Um, and, we, and he didn't want to be in the Guinness Book of Records as shared. So he went again and beat me. And well, good luck to him because I wasn't going to go again. Did he kill me? I went for You <laughs> did, did 11 hours. Did 11 you? hours I did, yeah. My goodness. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm
0: thinking of 11 hours of Giles Brandress, to be honest. That's, that's <laughs> what's really uh, really turning my stomach.
1: Yeah, uh, say, yeah. <laughs> uh, they did it, they set it up. It was for a charity called Action Research for the Crippled Child. And uh, <clears throat> they set it up. Excuse me, uh, can I open that thing and have a drink of water? And uh, and so already Giles had got the record, and then I took it away from him. And uh, they said, Well, what we thought we might do now would go again. I said, Oh, no, I don't want to do it again. He said, Well, we might raise a lot of money. And there was about £10,000, and that's a lot of money. And this was many years ago. And um, we're going to go to the Hyde Park Hotel. You'll be in different rooms because they set it up properly with a proper dinner party there and and an adjudicator and your guests. And you just talked to them and got the laughs. And others would, people would come in and pay to see me and get some money from the red charity. And then they'd go and watch Giles. And I could hear his laughs and he could hear mine. So it spurred (laughs) us on. (coughs) And uh, (coughs) we both, they decided that we're both fighters. We weren't going to give in. And so after the 11th hour, they called an honourable draw. And that's when Giles was, no, he was very offended. He wanted to keep going till one of us dropped dead. <laughs> <coughs> and so uh, he went on his own. They phoned me up and said, Giles wants to go again. I said, well, let him go. I, must, I, uh... I know Giles. He's, very fri- yes. he's, a, he's a good friend. Yes. B- but he is very competitive, yeah. as proved. And he's that's got the impressive. record now. <coughs> Why and did you bring that up? It didn't get many laughs.
0: You got some good laughs on
1: the way. All
0: right, all right, all right. And also, we don't have to have laughs. We can have some, you know, we can have some tears.
1: Oh yes, we can have some tears. Interesting comp, no, interesting yeah, conversation. Some... The but, after know... dinner speech record. Yes. Well, I've, got to, do an after-
0: I've got to do an after dinner speech in Cheddar this coming Friday. I haven't mm-hmm. written anything yet.
1: No. Oh. Well, you can talk about cheese. Yeah, I can talk about cheese. <laughs> and uh, there are They're lots of different of it. kinds of cheese. Yeah. And uh, I don't have any jokes about cheese, though. Uh, that you could possibly use. Uh, I'll think of one afterwards. I'm okay. sure.
0: I'm trying to think of one now.
1: A cheddar. Anybody got any jokes about cheddar cheese? Yeah, yeah gone. All right, all right. What? We're waiting. Uh,
0: uh. <laughs> Are you keeping it to yourself? Yeah, I'm mm. keep it to myself. Mm. You used all your breath on the shout. You your breath on the This is not a great start to this comedy career. Okay. What's an Inuit's favourite cheese? Brie. <laughs> brie, <laughs> I think, is what he's going. He, got, he kind of hit the e a bit. So I think he's going for brie. I think that's called
1: called a failed comedian. Yeah. <laughs> Mate,
0: it wasn't good enough. Hey.
1: Can anybody get any Gouda? <laughs> <laughs> right, well, look, we, we should
0: say you do, you do tour. Uh, just uh, every now and again, you're doing shows yes, out of the don't, I, I don't do a continuous
1: you. tour. Yeah. I had to break in between because I'm getting a bit older. And um, I do single nights here there. I'm going down shipping soldery quite soon. I'm going somewhere else. It's in the diary. I you do a well.
0: two-hour show, which is...
1: I do a two-hour show, yeah. Yeah. And I bought some books, by the way, to sell if anyone... Um, These people will come and buy books from you in the interval.
0: Uh, we'll quickly talk about you did Rocky Horror Show narrator again, quite a. Oh gosh, quite yes,
1: a the Rocky Horror Show. So,
0: were dressed up in ladies' underwear, I'm presuming. Is, is that...
1: No, I was very smartly dressed in a crushed velvet smoking jacket. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end, it was me, I, I, my idea, and I got hoisted on my own professional baton because uh, I, you know, the the, the, the Rocky Horror Show. Any, any fans of Rocky Horror Show here? Yeah. Well, as you know, they all shout out things, don't they, the fans? You know, when you mention the Brad Majors thing, they all shout out, ''Arsehole!'' uh, uh, But when the narrator first comes on, they've always been played in a very pompous way. And they always just shout, ''Boring, boring, boring, get off, piss off, get off, piss off!'' And I wasn't going to stand there and be insulted, I took over the role, so I waited, and I started gagging and ad-libbing with them, and they liked that. So they waited, and they stopped shouting that out, and then I would say, you know, what were the words? I would like if I may, and they all come back with, You may! Thank you. <laughs> I'd like if I may to take you. And I look at them, I say, mind you, some of you I couldn't take anywhere. Others <laughs> uh, sound as if you've been taken already. <laughs> and and they, they loved all this gagging. <clears throat> and then when I started up, and this <clears throat> they sat out that evening, Brad Majors, and they all shout out the traditional thing of the regular, they said, Asshole! So I said, that's a side of him I don't know very well. <laughs> <laughs> so th- this, this went down very well. Yeah. And I said to the producer when I first took over, I said, I'm very formally dressed there. And at the end, after the big four show number, they all come on, they're all dressed the same in uh, fishnet tights and suspender belts and basks and high heel shoes. I said, I come on and join them at the end for the big bow. Do you think it would be an amusing idea? I appear to have joined the gang and was dressed the same. And he looked at me incredulously and said, Nicholas, I mean, would you really? I said, I think it might get quite a laugh. I said, I think, I said, well, he said, no, I think it'll bring the house down. So they kept the jacket on. And I used to come on with the suspender belt and the fishnet stockings and the high heel shoes. My God, high heels are bloody difficult to wear. They're rare. <laughs> I nearly fell over anyway, <clears throat> and I would come on, and you didn't get a very, very good reaction. But the irony was, afterwards people would say to me, Oh, must congratulate you. And I waited for a lovely comment about my performance. He said, You've got very good legs. <laughs> You see, fellows don't think about their legs, but fishnet stockings show them off to great advantage. <laughs> and with the high heel shoes as well. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was it was a memorable thing. I, I did three or four different tours of that really, um, yeah. I must keep this under my base. Exactly. I must talk into it. Right. Um, no, I, I did. It's a bit, um, a bit late to realize did, uh, that, Nicholas.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did a season in London, the Duke of York. So, I did two seasons in London yeah. and uh, three or four different tours. And so. Um, Yes, it's a great memorable part of my professional life.
0: It's, it's amazing all the different things. you were in a roller-skating panto dame, according to... Oh,
1: yes. Plan. I did a... I thought it would be a bit of a gimmick. <laughs> dame coming on a roller skates. Very mean management, he was. He's dead now, so I mentioned his name. And uh, because uh, I said to me... By the way, I went off and I had some lessons and bought the skates. What about the money? He said, well, that was your idea. I said, no, it's in the bloody script. I said, and you wrote it. Anyway, you made me pay for it. But I've still got the roller skates. I want to sell them, by the way. Anybody want to buy a pair of roller skates?
0: <laughs> what if you get another part where you need to roller skate, though, Nicholas? Uh, there?
1: Too old for that now. <laughs> All I can do to walk on let a roller skate. Uh,
0: you never say another way. So
1: it's 75 years in show business already, or is that coming? 75 years, this yes. Year? I mean, five years in Clydebank and then 75 years in show business. Not a lot of difference. <laughs> well, it's you an absolute. Ha- you do have a lovely audience. They are yeah, very yeah, nice. Yeah. They're very yeah. nice.
0: Mm. You're welcome to come back time. I hope there's another 75 well, I can't years. I've
1: told you- him all my best gags, or many. Okay. <laughs> Except the one about the cheese.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think you've held back I think you've held back some stuff uh, ladies and gentlemen will you please give an enormous round of applause Mr Nicholas Parker.
1: thank you thank you, thank you.
0: How'd you like them Sky Potatoes? (laughs)